mission of the CTM, it, there's not a more important mission really in the world, especially for us men to be involved in. So a little bit of history on that prayer and on why we're, we choose to be praying through the intercession of St. Joseph. Um, way back at the beginning of the CTM, Father Mawson and Father Huber were the, the priests that were helping direct our movement in, in this direction. And uh, we, we chose St. Joseph as the patron saint of our organization because he is the, he's the definition of what it, what it means to be a man. He's the one who showed Christ how to be a man. Um, in his humanity and so he taught him how to work like a man he, and taught him all those things so we chose St. Joseph as as our patron and there were a, there's a lot of different prayers to St. Joseph that are out there and uh, I don't know I wasn't involved in the conversation to know what the driving force behind why they couldn't either couldn't decide on one or whatever but Father Moss and Father Huber worked together to kind of meld a bunch of different prayers into this one prayer to St. Joseph that, that we pray when we begin our, our events. St. Joseph, protecting father of the infant Jesus and dedicated husband of the Blessed Virgin Mary, we come before you for your powerful intercession and protection. We turn to your courageous example to form and shape us into a masculine presence that will lead others to the knowledge of God, our loving Father. Examples for our family, our church, and our community. We lift up to you, St. Joseph, our joy and our pain, our success and our struggles. Through it all, with our sinfulness, may we persevere in the mission leading our families to heaven. St. Joseph, recognize the calm and protective presence that lifted up the Blessed Virgin Mary and the Son of God through your love and protection. Obtain for us, through your divine Son, all of the spiritual blessings needed to grow as his disciples, strengthening not only our relationship to him, but also that of the entire church. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. One of the primary, you know, our, if you look on the front cover of our pamphlets, Men Helping Men Transcend by Following Christ and Developing a Personal Relationship with Christ Through Encounters with Jesus Christ and His Church. The whole goal of this isn't for us to come here, get a little jacked up on Jesus, and then go home and, and be like, okay, that's cool. It's, we're men that, that we tend to live, especially in today's world, we live in isolation. We live in our phones. We live in virtual workplaces now we don't even people don't even go to work anymore they you know put on a dress shirt and pajama bottoms and sit in front of a camera and you know so we we need each other to grow and to develop into men that are living our lives for Christ and that's really the purpose of this is I mean having huge turnouts at these events is great but the, the real goal is that we have huge turnouts of these events that then turn into guys that are like, hey, I know three people, and why don't you come over because there's nothing else to do, and, and let's talk about Jesus. I mean, it's, that's really the main goal in this is to help give us guys tools to then later take and share with other men and bring them all closer to Christ. So that's kind of why we're here. That's, that's the driving force behind 
the men's cross training, the MCTs that we're doing, so that we can we can get in there and and realize that as scary as it might be to stand up and tell your story, it's really not that difficult to when you when you realize what your story is and, and how Christ has moved you in your life. Um, so it's if you know it's not if you all know men that need Jesus, that need Christ in the, in their lives. Um, you've got children, you've got parents, you've got brothers, uncles, co-workers, and whatever. Um, First reading, 23rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Who can know God's counsel? Or who can conceive what the Lord intends? For the deliberation of mortals are timid, and the unsure of are our plans. For the corruptible body burdens the soul in the earth and shelter, weighs down the mind that has many concerns. And scarce do we guess the things on earth. And what is within our grasp we find with difficulty, but when things are in heaven, who can search them out? Or who even knew their, your counsel except you who had given wisdom and sent your Holy Spirit from on high? And thus were the paths of those on the earth made straight. The word of the Lord. Okay. In every age, O Lord, you have been our refuge. You turn man back to dust, saying, Return, O children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are as yesterday, now that it is past, or as a watch of the night. In every age, O Lord, you have been our refuge. You make an end of them in their sleep. The next morning they are like the changing grass, which at dawn springs up anew, but by evening wilts and fades. In every age, O Lord, you have been our refuge. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain wisdom of heart. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. In every age, O Lord, you have been our refuge. Fill us at daybreak with your kindness, that we may shout for joy and gladness all our days. And may the gracious care of the Lord, our God, be ours. Prosper the work of our hands for us. Prosper the work of our hands. In every age, O Lord, you have been our refuge. A reading from Philemon. I, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for Christ Jesus, urge you on behalf of my child, Onesimus, whose father I have become in my imprisonment. I am sending him, that is, my own heart back to you. I should have liked to retain him for myself so that he might serve me on your behalf in my imprisonment for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that the good you do might not be forced but voluntary. Perhaps this is why he was away from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a brother, beloved especially to me, but even more so to you, as a man and in the Lord. So if you regard me as a partner, welcome him as you would me. The word of the Lord. Thank you.
The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Great crowds were traveling with Jesus, and he turned and addressed them. If anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you wishing to construct a tower does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if there is enough for its completion. Otherwise, after laying the foundation and finding himself unable to finish the work, the onlookers should, lay, should laugh at him and say, this one began to build but did not have the resources to finish. Or what king marching into battle would not first sit down and decide whether with 10,000 troops he can be successfully oppose another king advancing upon him with 20,000 troops. But if not, while he's still far away, he will send a delegation to ask for peace terms. In the same way, any one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, so we've got a few questions. One thing I do want to call out real quick before we get into that. Um, we're, uh, I think we have more clergy here than we've had to date. We have two, two brand newly ordained deacons back for the first week of June. Three. Who am I missing? I know there's Bob. Oh, that's right. I should have known that. Yeah, three newly ordained deacons and a priest and two guys that are that are in the class of 2024 so pray for those guys they need your prayers um, the other thing i just noticed in the questions is that i have an unfinished thought on the first one so you kind of get to run with it because i never got around to actually putting the question down um, so i gave you some words to think by but i'll go and read through them real quick that way you don't have to take that time at your tables and then we'll discuss them for probably about 25 minutes until about quarter till. So the book of wisdom calls to mind the sins of Adam and Eve and the burdens and concerns associated with our separation from God. But through the Holy Spirit, we can be made straight. And that's kind of the wild card because there's no question there. You just have to discuss. Paul is sending Onesimus, a slave of Philemon, back to him and asking Philemon to welcome him as he would Paul. This is a radical change, treating a slave as a person, a child of God. In what other ways has Christianity made radical changes in the world? What do you think Jesus meant when he said, if anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And then the fourth one is more of an introspective one you don't necessarily need to share, but. What is there in your life that is keeping you from being the disciple of Christ that you are called to be? And so let's talk about the Book of Wisdom. A little history behind the Book of Wisdom. It was one of the few books, and I'm thinking it's the only book that I know of that was actually written outside of the Holy Lands. It was actually written in Egypt. Now let me give you a little biblical history again. If you recall, we have 
King Saul uh, was the first king of, of uh, Jerusalem, the, the ten tri or 12 tribes, and then David, and then Solomon. And then after Solomon, the, uh, the, the ten tribes wanted their own king. And then the, the, uh, the, the, the um, line of King David and Solomon ran through the, the southern kingdom known as Judah. And that's where the two tribes were, Benjamin and Judah there. And then the ten tribes in the north. And then you had, so the, ten, the kingdom in the north was known as uh, Israel. And the kingdom in the south was known as Judah. And then eventually the Assyrians took the northern kingdom. And the Babylonians took the, uh, the southern kingdom. And then the Jews were dispersed throughout the, throughout the Mediterranean world and Persia there. And, and then when Alexander came around in the 4th century, he, of course, conquered everything. And everybody was speaking Greek at the time, including the, these Jews that were dispersed throughout uh, Asia Minor, Europe, and then, and then Asia there, in, in, in Persia there. And I see the deacon here. So, uh, so let me, uh, so just so you know, there, there's something called the, the miracle of the Septuagint. And, and so the 70 rabbis decided to come, since most of our people speak Greek, Let's, let's convert the, the original Bible, the, uh, the Old Testament Bible, from Hebrew and Aramaic into Greek so that the Greek-speaking Jews can understand it. So they had 70 uh, uh, rabbis come in, I believe it was somewhere in the Holy Lands, uh, right, not Jerusalem, but close to it. And they all were locked in a room and they, convert, they, they decided to, to translate. And when they all got done, they looked at their translation and it was exactly the same. And so they call it the miracle of the Septuagint, which was written around 300 BC. And then when wisdom came around, the whoever wrote the book of wisdom, he was using the, the not the actual original translation of Hebrew and Aramaic, but the translation of the Septuagint, uh, the, the Greek uh, Bible at the time. And so we got that going on there. So he was written in, in Greek and he's written in Egypt. And he was, he was talking about the importance of the, uh, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. So here's a guy who's in Egypt explaining to the Greek-speaking Egypt's uh, 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 Jewish and Egyptians how important the, uh, the enslavement of Egypt and getting out of there was important. So that, that's what we got there. Okay, and then the last thing, because uh, the deacon is here, uh, Jesus valued, valued family life. And we have many passages of this here, but so, why is he talking about unless you hate your, your father and mother and your sister and everything else? What he's doing there, John Bergsma describes as what he's doing there is he's actually embracing his divinity. Because every first century Jew, including Jesus, they all, they all come up with one, they all have one value. The, biggest, the second biggest value is their family. And your fit, first biggest value is God. And so when Jesus is making this statement that, hey, unless you hate your father and mother, what he is doing, John Bergsman describes, is what he's doing is he's actually embracing his divinity. And every Jew that hears that understands that that's what he's doing. And so obviously when we're, when we're dealing with values, our number one value is our relationship with Jesus and God. And then our number two value is, is the, our, our relationship with our families. And so that's what Jesus is doing there. Let's go ahead and welcome Deacon James Keating up here. And we'll get on with the rest of the night. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, thank you for our faith. Enliven this faith by keeping us close to your mysteries, your life, your death, your resurrection. 
We pray especially tonight for any family member who no longer attends the Eucharist, that through the power of this life, death, and resurrection, they will be drawn back to the worship of the one true God. Okay, just going to talk about two things tonight, the liturgy and um, sacrament of reconciliation. And uh, these will be what I call jumping off points. So we'll just follow those along and then I'll just make some comments on them. The first thing about the, um, the liturgy is that it, it, the big important part about the liturgy is participation. And it's not just participation in the activities around the mass, but it's, it's the participation of our lives in the life of Christ that's being offered at the mass. So it's participation of course, in the saying of the prayers, the kneeling, the standing, uh, the receiving Holy Communion, that's the high point. But we, we should perhaps have this focus when we're worshiping that what we want to do is we want to open ourselves in such a way that we become vulnerable to participating in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, or as the notes say there, redemption. Now, of course, uh, many people in the United States today don't believe redemption is necessary. We believe as a culture now that we are all born kind of ordered toward heaven because we have uh, projected our democratic values onto salvation, onto heaven. So it would be rude for us to think that people aren't destined for the best, destined for what is uh, good for them. And we shouldn't exclude anyone. But the teachings of the church are pretty clear on this, that we need to participate in Jesus's life in order to be with God. So just by virtue of birth, we are not destined for God because of all that we know and all that we believe about the fall that there was something bent or broken in us. And if we don't believe that, all we have to do is just consider our own life and the last resolution we made to do something virtuous and how difficult that was. We are born oriented more easily towards self-involvement. We are not born oriented more easily toward transcendence toward self-forgetfulness. In fact, that's the great burden of our movement toward holiness, is to work and put ourselves in those positions that enable us to finally throw the self off. And as we begin or continue or deepen our spiritual life, we begin to see how burdensome the self is. St. Paul said this very clearly, why do I do the things I do not want to do? That's the condition of our birth. That's why we need a savior. We don't need a teacher. We don't need a therapist. We don't need some uh, guru or guide. We need a savior. We need divinity entering our bodies and reorienting our fascination. Because what is so clear to us is that we are deeply fascinated with the self. And that reorientation of becoming 
fascinated with God is what crucifies the ego. And, but that has to be the movement from self-fascination to fascination with God. And anyone in here who's married, you know how difficult it was to move from being a bachelor in a bachelor mindset to a spousal mindset. Hurt like hell. And the only reason we did it is because she was pretty. Because we would continue on that road of deep self-involvement if it wasn't for beauty. But beauty reached in and wrenched us free of the self, even for a short time, and that short time is called engagement. Then when we get married, somehow we forget. Probably because beauty has said yes to us, and we begin to take beauty for granted. But during that time of engagement, when we're trying to impress her and keep her from going astray to another interest, perhaps, we finally begin to taste what it, what it feels like to forget the self. And what it feels like is ecstasy, power, transcendence. That's why when little boys fall in love in fourth grade and fifth grade, we should never really denigrate that. Sometimes we're very quick to denigrate puppy love and just dismiss it. When your son comes home and he says, I have seen Helen Smith, you should sit him down and say, what did you say? Daddy, I saw Helen Smith by the water fountain. Sit down, son. Say that to me again. Daddy, I saw Helen Smith by the water fountain. And as a father, you say in your heart, damn, he finally saw someone else. That's something to treasure and affirm. Because that natural trajectory is to continue self-involvement. And the only thing that awakens us to get out of that would be some type of vulnerability and openness to beauty. It's usually in the form of a woman, but ultimately it must be the form of Christ on the cross. For there is nothing more beautiful than divinity loving us in that form. A complete self-surrender, a complete selflessness of God. That's what rivets us, because when the marriage passes away, as Jesus says, in heaven there, are not, there is no marriage and you're not given in marriage in heaven. When marriage passes away, our desire for beauty will remain. And that beauty, though, will no longer be the mediated beauty of the woman. It will be the source of the woman's beauty, God himself which is why we have no marriage in heaven, because we, both genders, riveted upon God and God alone. This is why Christ is called the bridegroom, because ultimately we are destined all to be married to God, to be fascinated with the life of God. This begins in the sacramental life. We see it mediated in the wife, in our marriages, but ultimately we see it at the Mass. 
where we enter into this participation. The participation of God pouring himself out to us in love and ourselves responding with an equal self-gift and finally throwing off the burdensome boredom of self-involvement. And we know that self-involvement is boring because we know all the remedies that Americans try to unleash themselves from that boredom. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We all know that we are bored because we are constantly anesthetizing ourselves. We are constantly escaping. We are constantly distracted as a culture. Because the one thing that is weighing us down is what the commercial market, governments, popular culture, everyone tells us that we should be involved in, the self. And the only one who doesn't say we should be involved in the self is the one we crucified and killed. That's how powerful the movement to stay self-involved is, even under anesthesia, the anesthesia of the current culture. Because God help anyone who tries to free us or release us from this powerful self-involvement. They will be killed. They will be ignored. They, they will be in some way tortured, relegated to the margins, attacked. That's how much we love the self. The remedy to that is Sunday Mass. And of course, the reason uh, Sunday Mass is dwindling in attention, in, uh, de uh, attention and we are closing parish after parish across diocese after diocese, is because the Mass is the only hour not about the self. There is nothing to attract an American to the Mass because its objectivity does not pander to immediate gratification. And the whole culture panders to immediate gratification. And the one holy and sacred place that refuses to play into our wound is the Mass. The one place that refuses to profit off of our wound is the Mass. Can we jazz it up a bit? Can you make it more like entertainment? Can you please change the uh, prayers every Sunday so it's not all predictable? And the Mass stands its ground of objective revelation of the one act of God which is our only way into the freedom from the self. This is my body given for you. 2,000 years, we are not budging on that objective reality. If you want to be um, relieved of the burden of the self, you must suffer the mass. It is not entertainment. It is reconfiguration of your first interest. And that is a spiritual chiropractic that hurts like hell. It is a reorientation of your first interest. And to be with God 
It cannot be you. It has to be the mystery of God's own self that fascinates us. So he gives us baptism and he gives us all the other sacraments to assist in this reorientation. And the drama of our lives is very clear. In the end, will he or will he not become sick of himself? Let's watch and see. And if he becomes sick of himself in the face of the revealing beauty of God, and he participates in what has been revealed, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we call that salvation. And we'll call that man saved, holy. But it is a wrenching drama. If you look at the, the next series of notes there, the Eucharist is the mutual indwelling of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, the Eucharist is God pouring out his love. That's the gift. The Eucharist is God, the Trinitarian God, pouring out the gift, which is his love, in order to invite us to receive it. See that passive language? In order to invite to receive. There is no coercion in love. We must trust, surrender, and respond to the grace. And of course, this is why falling in love with your wife is a, a, like a reflection of the ultimate falling in love with God. There was no coercion. It was an invitation. And it was about you being capable to receive her presence. In other words, to make room in your fat, relentless ego for somebody else. Make room for somebody else. And the reason we have marriage counselors is because even when people get into that situation, they go back to Egypt. They go back to slavery. Even though the promised land is close, the death of the ego is close. You just got married. But the pull back to immediate gratification, the pullback to the ego at the center is an incredible undertow. And people get so far and they get afraid of making room for the other and giving that self over to the bride and they start taking back their bachelor life. And that's when all hell breaks loose and relationships break apart because one or the other refuses to trust that across the desert of denial of immediate gratification is the promised land. It's what you wanted when you saw her beauty in her face. You wanted the end of your own autocratic self. You wanted to be free. But then we get afraid. What happens if I surrender to her? Is she a taker? This, of course, is mirrored in our relationship with God. What happens if I give all to God? Is God a taker? And this is the great satanic lie that we, play, that we are played by Satan to believe. 
God is not good. Love is not beneficial to you. You are diminished whenever you stop thinking of you. That's the great satanic lie. Somehow he gets us to believe the opposite of salvation. That when we become fascinated with the beauty of God or the beauty of the woman, we are hardly diminished. As Jesus says, we are brought to life and life to the full. Life to the full. But Satan keeps saying, don't trust, be afraid, don't give all, hold some back for yourself. Who's going to remember you? Who's going to think of you? What will happen to your needs? And he captures us back to that deep wound itself that we began our life with. And this is why life is so darn interesting. Literally, will this man make it? Or will he go back to slavery, back to Egypt? And the mass is there to keep us moving across the desert of self-denial and eating the manna, the very life of God himself, body of Christ, blood of Christ, amen. Keep consuming it, keep consuming the mystery, keep being vulnerable and open to what he did for us on the cross. Yes, there is no immediate satisfaction. Yes, being American is not salvific. You must leave America and become men of the liturgy. Your new native land must be the liturgy. And that must begin to refashion your imagination, give you a new mind, the very way that your wife did when you first met her. And you did weird things, like stop thinking of yourself and remembering someone else's birthday. Just imagine the leap of imagination that that was, to think of somebody else's birthday and not be so totally self-involved. Remember, this is a new mind that the woman was giving you. Her beauty was moving you out of your old bachelor mind and it was, she was giving birth through her beauty to a spousal mind, a mind you never thought you could possess. And of course, this is what God is doing at the Mass. He's moving you out of a time-saturated mind, an American in the 21st century consumed by economics, politics, entertainment, sports, travel, all those things that consume the American mind. And his beauty, the crucified one who gave everything, while you, as St. Paul says over and over again, were still in sin. The crucified one, the most beautiful image in all of human history, the selflessness of God, that beauty is now affecting your mind analogously to the woman. And you are moving, not from a bachelor mind to a spousal mind, 
but you are moving from your native land to a new location. You are leaving behind the temporal order of the accident of your birth, and you are beginning to be domiciled in the liturgy. And when your death comes, this is why you'll cry out for a priest on your deathbed. Because what you're crying out for is the continuation and the extension of your new native land. And you got there because Christ in the Eucharist carried you there. And where is this new native land? Heaven. Eternal life. And you'll miss none of this fabricated, superficial culture. You'll only cry out for what's coming. Eternal life with beauty itself. And that beauty is beginning to habituate you through Sunday Mass. That's why in a few years we'll call you a saint. Because you did make room for something other than yourself. And you did invite some other being to fascinate you. And you became what you loved. And this is the most interesting metaphysical, ontological experience of being a human being. What you pay attention to, you become. And if you don't believe me, just watch what's happening to so many members of our culture as they become obsessed with the superficial and they eschew the substantive because it doesn't give them the quick hit they're addicted to. Which is why they are leaving the mass in droves. They are actually becoming the superficial things that they pay attention to. And they are becoming incapable of suffering substantive interests. All of you then in this room have got to continue to give witness to the fact that there is more than what we are catered to by, as St. Paul calls it, this passing age. Where the real substance is, and this is the most amazing thing for our time regarding what God is doing, playing a big joke on us, as we are addicted to passing emotions, the real substance is in that Sunday Mass after you receive God and you feel nothing. The real substance, which he refuses to give in, is faith. You must take a leap and believe because God will not pander to our addictions. When you receive God, you have to believe it's God because he's not going to have appendage experiences where we will, instead of falling in love with beauty itself, 
we will then again start attending religious services for the hit it gives us. And of course, this is the same thing that we do with the woman. When the woman, woman no longer can please us, when she can no longer make us feel good with a, like a bauble on our arm, a trophy wife, when she no longer gives us a quick hit, we get a new one. Because I must always be entertained. So this movement of the death of the ego is actually the movement of the parish, which is why we all gather together in fellowship, so that we can support each other moving from America to the liturgy. Because this is not natural. If it was natural, there'd be 10,000 men here tonight. But it's supernatural. And so you need all the brotherhood you can get to keep supporting one another when somebody forgets that they're to move to the liturgy and they complain that God is taking them out of America. And you, as a brother, have to stand by his side and say, let's go together in faith through the desert where you feel nothing. And trust that on the other side is human fulfillment. And what is human fulfillment according to the Catholic Church? Holy communion. Not one experience after the other, not one hit after the other, not one high after the other, not one trip or travel excitement after the other, not one new gourmet food after the other. What is the highest point of human life? Peace. A sustained interior peace. Analogous to the beautiful married couple who can sit in silence together, basically doing nothing, because just being together is their fulfillment. And so it is with God. Ultimately, in the end, what is most substantive about life? Being with God. And we don't want to do anything to jeopardize that fulfillment which is coming. And that's why the last point is the sacrament of reconciliation. And you see there, the sacrament of reconciliation, it says, is Christ's work of subjecting disobedience to mercy. So we stand and name our disobedience, and then he subjects that to his mercy. And the end of that is a reconfiguration, if you will, of baptism. When you leave the confessional, you are born again. Because you, when you sin, we leave reality and we enter fantasy. God doesn't live in fantasy. When the priest says your sins are forgiven given, and I absolve you, because you brought truth to that encounter, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I don't excuse this. 
I'm going to tell you exactly what the sin is because I want to move from fantasy to reality. Why do I want to move from fantasy to reality? The whole culture says the opposite. Because God lives in reality. So the more we sin, the more isolated we become in our fantasies, whether it's greed, whether it's gluttony, whether it's sloth, whether it's lust, anger, it doesn't matter. When we move in that direction, we move into what the book of Acts defined Judas as. When they had to replace Judas after he killed himself, they said, we need to replace Judas. And after that, they said, who went to his own place. What a horrible but accurate description of all of us when we sin. We have to replace this man because he went to his own place. Isolation, loneliness, hell. And every time we choose sin, which is the immediate hit, which then opens into emptiness, we have just touched the depths of loneliness. There's always a lie with sin. Keep eating, keep eating, keep getting the pleasure of fat and sugar in your mouth. Keep going, feel it. That's the facade. Then after, the depths of regret. Why? Because sin carries in it its own punishment. Isolation from the good, from virtue. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I'd like to come back to reality now because I want to live where God lives. And I no longer want to be alone. And here's where we have to encourage each other the most. When we see a brother drift into the temptation and deception of the first hit of sin. and to remind him of its inherent emptiness and loneliness. But look at the mercy of God, where he has given us these two simple realities. In both, we simply need a priest. In one, we need bread and wine. That's it. Experience the simplicity of salvation priest, bread, and wine. The priest can reconcile you, and the priest will be the medium for transubstantiation for that beautiful mystery of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to come and invite us to participate in it. And that's all we need. Tell people of this simplicity. What's hard about salvation is us leaving the self behind. Everything else has been supplied by God in complete simplicity. 
if we're going to stay out of sin, the last uh, big paragraph there is we need the practice of asceticism. And of course, this is when everybody leaves the room because this is the crucifixion of the self. Asceticism, it says in that little definition there, is the struggle to desire and choose what we see in Christ. What do we see in Christ? The Son in communion with the Father. What is asceticism? To struggle, to desire, and choose to be in communion with God. And to desire, you've got to pray for that. And to choose, you need the brotherhood to help you choose that. It is not good for man to be alone. Genesis says, because to be alone is to leave yourself wide open to that horrible temptation to believe what Satan wants us to believe, that in God is a taker and not a giver. So we don't want to be alone. If you want less more immorality in the world, make this community in this room bigger. Lonely people are the next perpetrators of evil, and lonely people are the next victims of evil. If you want less evil, deepen your community. And in this way, we will have the strength to choose and to desire to be like Christ, to be a son who lives in communion with God. We will stand in peace before our passions because God is refashioning us into men who love the life he wants us to participate in more than we love the life of immediate gratification. He's going to transfigure us from men who love immediate gratification into men who love the life of Christ. We have to pass through crucifixion first, but with the sacraments and with fellowship, nothing is impossible for God. So we'll just be with Jesus just for a few minutes in silence. And then if I said anything that's confusing or you have any comments or questions, we can talk about that. But let's just be with Jesus for a few minutes in silence. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, come and be with us. Is that you said that going to Mass was a struggle, and the gentleman in the back was saying it's not a struggle for him anymore. In fact, he loves it and wants to go. So the only thing I missed is that you were in the room. Didn't know you were here. <laughs> it, that is the natural progression of falling in love with God, just like it was the natural progression of falling in love with your wife. Is that eventually you can't live without her. That's when, when, she's, when she dies, you'll cry because you just want her presence. And the same is true with as the fat relentless ego dies and we disembark from the, the train that the American culture is telling us we have to travel on, our desires change. And we, we do crazy things like get up at six in the morning and go to daily mass because we have fallen in love. That's what love does. Love thinks of the other. So in my description of the Mass tonight, I was describing the wrenching difficulties at the beginning of a man's Catholicity, whether he's 20 or 50. 
Whenever that ego begins to shift and die, and when it becomes asphyxiated because you don't pay attention to it anymore, then that new life is going to replace that. And that new life is, I pant after God. And it becomes your oxygen. Yeah, why do you think God withheld the sacraments from us during COVID? And like you said, you don't want a polarizing question because some people would say, well, God didn't. People did. <laughs> okay, but if we're going to say God withheld them, the only way I can think of it, like biblically, would be that somehow to deepen our desire for him when the sacraments were available again. For the first time, maybe to start feeling if we are in a rut where we are not conscious of being grateful for the sacraments, for the first time maybe feeling, knowing that I miss them. And then that desire grows deeper, and then when they're made available again, that becomes something configured in us, and I will never again take them for granted. That could be the good that maybe God was seeing as he tolerated us not having the sacraments. Deacon Keating was, that was, that was pretty awesome. Um, I've never really heard the perspective of, you know, the, the reason so many people are leaving the church is because it's the only hour of the week where they're asked to focus on something other than themselves. You know, and how true is that? Um, I thought it was interesting that, you know, he, Chris Elders was like, we need to have him, or maybe it was Mark. He needs to be our speaker every time because, you know, he just, he just, he, I mean, he, he obviously understands the concept of what we're doing here and even called out in Genesis that, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. And, you know, the Bible's a pretty thick book and pretty early in the book, God puts a stamp on that we need this. So don't let this just, you know, like you said, if, if, if we really believed it and lived it, then there'd be 10,000 men here, not 50. Um, but uh, yeah, and uh, let's see, I had some other note that, oh yeah, the hardest, the hardest part about salvation is leaving yourself behind um, and, and knowing that you're, you know, we're called to, to be with God um, and, and outside of ourselves. Whenever Catholic media makes its way into our theaters, we really need to make an effort to support that stuff because if we don't, they won't ever bring it back. And if they don't ever bring it back, then the companies don't get to make that little bit of extra money to make those movies. Um, I know the Padre Pio movie that's coming out, I'm, I imagine based on Shia LaBeouf, or LaBeouf, LaBeouf, however, LaBeouf, being in it and a recent Catholic convert, that one's probably a pretty high budget because he's in it, but I don't know. But any anytime those types of movies, you get those opportunities, make sure to to support those causes and take advantage of them. So, um, any last minute other, Matt, yes? Next month's speaker. Next month's speaker is... Father of a family of 12. Oh yeah, 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 Melosha. Steve, 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 Steve Melosha from the uh, St. Joseph Parish here. Um, how to keep your kids Catholic or something? So, yeah, I think is is how to. Yeah, he's a uh, yeah. So that should that should be a good one. Yeah, they have two. I, I knew there was one. I couldn't. I knew, but yeah, two priests within that family. Um, yeah.
David is a military chaplain now, right? Yeah. This event, last Tuesday of the month, 7 p.m., 11 months of the year. The only month we don't do is December because it would end up being somewhere right around Christmas.